Well, good morning. I'm Fred Holcomb, the worship pastor here, and uh, just wanted to welcome you this morning and let you know that uh, the Handbell Ensemble is going to open our service this morning and just uh, be encouraged by their hard work and also the song this morning. So, Handbell. job Hank Bell Choir we thank you for that and uh, they'll be back a little bit later in the service form but again for us we welcome you this morning glad that you're with us we have several things that uh, we want to uh, do this morning at the time that we have and uh, so there's one item that I want to do I'm gonna ask Tom Crum to come forward if he would for just a minute and uh, uh, we want to take a moment and thank him I, you heard me right Tom yes come forward <laughs> don't shake your head no at me young man all right uh, there are so many men and women within our church that over the years, uh, especially in the time that I've been here, who have modeled generosity with their time, their energy, their strength of just resources and collectively getting people together. Tom is one of those champions of the cause. We just have something that we want to give to you as a token of our thanks and appreciation for all that you do for our church. And we love you, Daryl. Appreciate you. Amen. Thank you.
again, it's not meant to say that there aren't others who do quite a bit. Uh, my wife and I were talking about the need for the next generation of servants and uh, appreciating that Tom gives so much and he organizes so many different groups and uh, he is such a, a blessing, but yet there are so many others who do so much more as well, and we're just very grateful for that. Along that line, we also have some others that we want to thank, and I'm going to ask Sandy Gramacki to come, as she has several that she would like to also just give recognition to here this morning, please. Good morning. Um, I'm up here on behalf of Jen Grieve and myself, um, and I'm here not just as a children's director, but also as a mom who wants to thank um, those of you who have served in children's ministry throughout this year, whether that was weekly in Sunday school, subbing for us, um, or serving at VBS or Awana. We're grateful for the way so many of you are faithful in your love and care for our children. Um, I could go into stats about the importance of caring adults in the church who build into our kids' lives in Christ-centered ways, but instead I'll just remind you that Jesus wanted the children to come to him, and so having here at Grace, having those of you who serve our kids, bringing them to Jesus, it's hard to truly express how grateful we are for your ministry. I will share some quick stats about this year, though. On an average week, we have about 300 people here worshiping with us. Throughout this year, 130 of you have served in our kids' ministry in some capacity. On an average week, we need 62 people in order to have our children's programs run smoothly and safely. Of the 130 of you, 67 serve in multiple areas and play many roles in these ministries. So all that to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. To show our thanks this morning, we have a small gift. During fellowship time, there's a table set up in the back corner, um, and there are envelopes on it by last name. So if you have served in any capacity this year, um, from middle school age up through adult, if you could go and find your name and take your gift, um, that would be great. We'll have some kids back there helping as well. And if I missed you, which I was writing names while I had three small children running around me, so anything is possible, um, please let me know. And again, thank you so much. You are seen and appreciated. Well, good morning, church. We uh, have some other folks that we want to recognize. And first off this morning, we would like to recognize three of our own who graduated college yesterday. And as I call your name, if you will come to Pastor Adam and he has a special gift to hand off to you. First off is Luke Holcomb from UTC, <laughs> Bachelor of Science, Mechanical Engineering. Ryan Merritt, UTC, Bachelor of Science, Finance. And Audrey Pennington, UTC, Bachelor of Science, Psychology. So congratulations to our graduates, and you guys may be seated. And next off, um, I want to introduce some folks to you. Scripture makes it clear that um, we are created for a relationship with God, but also with others. Um, and that relationships among the body of Christ are vital for us to grow in our relationship with Jesus. Um, our growth in character, in humility, 
in knowledge, in discernment of God's design, God's will in our lives, in recognition of spiritual gifts, etc. That takes place in the context of committed covenant relationships with church. So this is the heartbeat behind the folks who um, I would like to introduce to you this morning. And also let me say this, in your bulletin is an insert with pictures and with a summary of uh, their, their testimony, how they came to know Christ. And so read these, get to know these folks. And this is the edited version. I get to read the whole thing. We as a staff get to read the whole thing. So um, just by way of introducing these folks to you. So let me flip my page here. <clears throat> First off, and if you guys will come stand in front of the bell table, how about that? Abby Barker, Judy Davis, who just had two granddaughters graduate from college, right? <laughs> Carrie Hayworth, Carissa Heath is not feeling well this morning. Um, Isaac Love, is Isaac out of town? Okay, all right. Micah Love, Keenan Morse, Bart and Stephanie Parks. Bart is here to represent, Stephanie's out of town. Rodney and Tammy Sprouls, and pending baptism, Doyle and Ann Swafford are right here up front. Brothers and sisters, these folks stand before us as Grace Baptist Church, having completed the requirements um, expressed in our bylaws, having prayerfully considered and thought through, is this the place where God would have them to, to put down roots or reestablish roots? And now they desire to enter into a covenant relationship with our church as members. So if you are a member of Grace Baptist Church and would like to affirm their membership and be a part of their growth in Christ, as well as receiving their ministry into your lives, would you stand right now and say amen? amen. <clears throat> would you welcome them, please? So what we would like to do in order for you to um, just greet them personally is I think we're going to send them out at the end of the service. We're going to send them out early and send them back to the fellowship time and they'll be lined up back there and one of us will be back there to organize the whole thing. So anyway, um, if you will all stand with us now and we're going to say our verse together and uh, new members, um, if you will go ahead and you can take your seats so we won't make you stand the whole time. Did a wedding yesterday and the lights were so bright I couldn't see the people so I had them stand for the bride and then I just went into my thing and then I was like, oh wait, they're still standing out there. And Mike Swanson was going to send me a text and tell me that I needed to make people sit down. So, Would you um, join us together as we say uh, Isaiah 9-2? The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning that we can gather in Jesus' name for his glory, pursuing our deepest joy. Lord, thank you for Psalm 43 that reminds us that you are our exceeding joy. And so we come to this moment in pursuit of joy, in pursuit of the ministry of your spirit into our lives through praise and worship, through the preaching of your word, and through fellowship with one another. 
So Lord, would you minister to our hearts? We come needy, we come recognizing our need and we pray for a supernatural ability to set everything aside and fully engage our hearts and our minds on you and to allow you to bring perspective to everything else that's going on in our lives and to the beauty of this season that we celebrate. We love you, Lord. We thank you for these new members that have joined us. And Lord, we, we look forward to not only our opportunity to minister into their lives, but the way that our lives are gonna be touched through them. And we pray that you'll bless their ministry and their membership among us. And we rejoice with these graduates also, and Lord, with their parents and their family that have walked with them through this journey. So now, Lord, we lift our hearts and our praise in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kelly. It's uh, awesome to see our new members join us this morning. We would like to uh, sing a couple of Christmas carols with you this morning as we begin our service. And we'll begin with Good Christian Men Rejoice.
Jesus, through your name we pray. Oh, Jesus, through your Ensemble is going to play for us uh, once more before uh, the message. And I just want to say thanks to Trish and them, Trish for her leadership, but the uh, handball players, they practiced a lot um, during the year, even uh, right after COVID and so forth at Trish's home. So um, they've been diligent and it, it shows, right? So they'll be playing for us, Oh Holy Night.
I don't know if I was supposed to say anything, but for what I've been told is that Roman Creed is the one who pretty much arranged all of those numbers there, both those numbers. So I think he did a pretty good job too. Don't you agree? Amen. Amen. The character of Christmas is so we come to this thought and I'd like to take us to the book of Matthew this morning. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew begins his narrative, he begins his story a little bit differently than how the other gospel writers do. You find that Mark and John, in very similar fashion, really begin with just a, a very brief introduction, but really more to the point. They get right to the existence of Christ. There's no birth story. There is no origination story in the sense of his earthly. They just simply introduce him to the world. They introduce him to us as the incarnate, as the one who comes from God, sent for a purpose. Matthew and Luke gets into a little bit more of the beginnings, to talk about his humanity, to talk about his coming to earth. And Matthew begins with the genealogy where Luke buries it into chapter 3, but begins really with giving to us a, a wake up to the situation of the, of the storyline that Jesus would be introduced into. You begin with, in Luke's gospel, really more about the, the, the one who would be the forerunner, it's John, his cousin. Matthew brings us right into the story of Jesus. He brings us right up to the point of Christ's existence by taking us really from the time of, uh, of Abraham and talking about that then and moving us to David. And obviously we know that David is not the actual son. Uh, you would talk about, you know, Isaac and things like that of Abraham, but he is by lineage, he is a son, he is a one who comes from that line, and so we find that there are these divisions inside of the genealogy. Matthew even tells us 14 generations, and it's not so much the point of being that each name is given, but there are these generational gaps that he talks about, and he talks about them from those different stages introducing Jesus to us. And then we get to chapter 1 and verse 18, that's where I like to pick up here this morning. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. And when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before it came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Another attribute of Matthew is he consistently reminds us of the prophecies that were fulfilled. And here is the first one that he mentions, behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name 
Jesus. This morning, I'd like to talk about Joseph's legacy. Last Sunday, we described Mary's resume, but talking today about Joseph's legacy. And the legacy, the idea by definition is something that could be included by what is left behind as part of the will or financial gift. But a true legacy is what is left behind after the money runs out. It's what is left for the sake of one's identity for eternity. It was a few years ago I was challenged to think about what would be my life's slogan, my life's expression. And for me personally, I came up with my life's legacy is God's glory. I want it to be that really at the end of my days and my family puts my body into that pine block box somewhere and throws me in a ditch, they could at least go back and say, well, there's where, you know, life's legacy. You know, it's more than the tombstone. It's more than the place, the marker of where the decaying husk of my existence will be. It is about what is left behind of a legacy. And I hope that it is one where it says, this is a man who lived for God. Joseph sounds like a man just like that. In everything that we find ourselves, what was Joseph's legacy? What was it that he left for the world? You stop and ask yourself, how much time do you give to knowing much of Joseph? I mean, not even the Roman Catholic Church gives him much attention. In the sense of it being that we find here Mary and Jesus, and of course Jesus, even shepherds, and even a wicked king like Herod gets a whole lot more attention. But what about Joseph? It can almost feel like Joseph was just there, that he was that guy kind of standing off in the corner somewhere, sort of occupying more of the shadows of the story than anything related to the limelight of the story. But I want you to notice with me this morning some things that are pointed out for us in Matthew, who gives to us the most about this fella than all of the other gospel writers. It's like Matthew makes it a point for us to know that Joseph also had a part to play in the early formation of Jesus' life. What do we learn about this person? There's a lot to be said, but I want to just give us a couple of thoughts about this man's legacy and some things about his life that I believe truly come out of and reveal to us something of the character of Christmas. I want you to notice, first of all, this thought. I want you to look at the patient fiance. If you'll notice with me again here in verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. Matthew is pretty adamant. This is really Jacob, father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and it's by Mary that the child is conceived and brought into the world, and this child is the Messiah. you notice with me again in verses 18 and 19, that the birth of Jesus was as thus betrothed, When Jesus' mother, Mary, has been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. When I think about the person of Joseph, I think about as a man waiting for his wedding day to occur. 
We've talked about this when we talked about Mary and the sense of understanding that this betrothal period was for them as much and as significant as already having been married. But there was something about the culmination of that. There was an event. There was a date that was to be established. It was a time. Sometimes it take up to a year. The bride would be anticipating and waiting for the groom to come. And there would be a celebration, a long feast would take place, typically about seven days, depending upon how wealthy the family could afford it. But there was a time together that they would spend and they would make preparation to join life, to do all of this. And it's like that just got blown out of the water. Time for Joseph was not moving rapid enough. It's not also a life that is described as how he would have predicted it. Now look at this tension in the passage. Betrothal, anticipation. She's pregnant. Oh no, what do I do now? Let's put her away. Let's do it secretly. This is not how he had imagined life to go. How do you behave when plans don't go as smoothly or as you arrange them in your mind? Joseph, in many ways, for me, illustrates the path of redemption, a path that had been foretold to Adam back in a garden in Genesis chapter 3. Before they had been cast out, God had given to them a promise that the seed of a woman would crush the head of the serpent. And for thousands of years, mankind has plunged into deeper shadows and expressed their darkest desires. And right along with the rest of the world, God had been actively working. He had been actively shining light upon the darkness and pointing people towards a plan of redemption and restoration between mankind and himself. And Joseph comes to this point in his own life. In the microcosm of his own existence, Joseph to me illustrates the patience the waiting of anticipated union with God that the world had been longing for and everyone who had been by faith trusting as the revelation of God has been coming to them for thousands of years just waiting with anticipation for something to be fulfilled, something to hold on to. The whole genealogy illustrates the generations that had been given a promise, a promise of a coming redeemer who would save them. And it had been passed along from individuals to eventually a family who would then become a nation. And you come into verse 21, and again the angel says, She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. What was he afraid of? You know, I was thinking about that in contrast to Mary. When the angel shows up to Joseph in the dream and he says to him there in verse 22 and so forth, I mean, in that context there, this angel, verse 20, comes to him and don't be afraid, Joseph. It's it's different than when the angel showed up to Mary. It's different than when the angel showed up to the shepherds. It's a different context for Joseph. Joseph Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. 
This time it's less about the presence of an angel or the bewilderment of a divine birth. The fear for Joseph was how to save his righteous character in light of Mary's news that she was expecting a child. He was afraid for his own reputation, but he was also afraid for Mary's. The law said, put her away. The law also said that she could have been stoned. He was willing to just simply divorce her. And he would even go so far as to do it in a way that brought no public spectacle to her. And now the angel comes and says, no, don't do that. Don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. You have this opportunity to become a part of the plan, Joseph. This is God's doing. I love how the angel comes and talks to him and says, this is something that is done by God's own hand. This is God's doing, and this is where God has brought you. This is your place in history and your role in it to be played. And then in verse 25, it talks about his response. He kept her as a virgin. He holds off any physical relations with her until this child is born. Joseph was a patient participant inside of the plan of divine proportion. And sometimes I wonder if you and I are just as willing to be patient for God's plans. Well, it might not be presented with angelic announcement, but what is God's word saying? And Joseph is that character in the story that Matthew especially points to as being the figure where history and time culminates in this one specific moment. And this becomes tied to Joseph's legacy. But there's another aspect to Joseph's legacy that I want you to see as we read through and understand what Matthew illustrates for us and points out to us. Not just in the sense of his patience and the sense of him allowing God to be at work, and even in that patient response, allowing the mystery of all these things to culminate, and for him to kind of step back and evaluate my partnership in this. But second of all, I want you to notice where it moves from the concept of being a patient, fa- uh, patient uh, fiancé to now, a second of all, a loving father. Go with me again to verse 24. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. So by every right and title, now Mary is. He performs the act. They must have had some sort of a ceremony. They must have done something. Now this is the moment where everything comes to pass, where everything that they had been waiting for, he goes right on with it. And what's interesting then is verse 25, keeping her as a virgin until she gives birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. We're going to come back to that. But I want you to go with me to chapter 2 for just a minute and look at verse 13. Look at verses 13 and 14 with me. Chapter 2. We're getting into the story now. Later on, we find that, you know, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, chapter 2 there. We find there is the whole king situation. There's the, the visit of the Magi. Then we come to verse 13. He says, now when they had gone, the, the Magi, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up, he took the child and his mother while it was still night, and they left for Egypt. 
Go over to verse 19 of that same chapter. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared. I, I think by this time they're starting to, they all swap business cards, wouldn't you think, you know? The angel of the Lord appears again in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up. Take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up. He took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee. And he came and he lived in a city called Nazareth. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. You see, Matthew tells us more about Joseph's involvement in the early life of Christ than any of the, of the historians, as I already mentioned. And Joseph becomes the one that the angels visit. It's not Mary. It's Joseph now. They bring these warnings, a warning and an offering for direction. And so Joseph roots out his life, takes that root and brings it then into Egypt, and they are there for a time. Don't really know exactly how long, but we know it's a season of time until Herod passes away. He brings that root out of the ground again, goes back into Israel again, moves him into Nazareth, plants his roots. And all of this for a child that was not his own. Joseph is the one that carries the brunt of the commands after that initial visit. He is the one that becomes responsible for the well-being of this little one. And that's why I call him a loving father. This is not his kid. Do you not know that Joseph lived under the scrutiny of the scorn that was poured out over the whole conception of this child? Joseph was the man that was married to the woman who had had an illegitimate child as most of the communities around them would come to believe. Joseph was also brought into question as to his righteous conduct, as questions about himself, perhaps being in, well, maybe he just got in a little too much of a hurry, needing to rush the marriage process along. And Joseph was daily reminded that the life of this child was more important than even his own life. For a man, how would all of that make you feel? If you always felt like you were on the other end of some string being yanked around, every time an angel popped into the storyline, your life was going to completely be changed. How would you estimate your worth? How would you estimate your identity? He was not the major player in this arrangement. But Joseph immediately shows us some things about himself as Matthew records this. In the first chapter, there's an interesting way that Matthew puts the accounting here. It's in verse 25, that last little phrase there of verse 25, if you go back there again to chapter 1, and it's that last phrase in the verse, and he called his name Jesus. And most of the time, we just kind of gloss over that. Well, duh, that's what the angel said, right? The angel told me, name his name Jesus, so what else am I going to call the kid? I'm trying to be sacrilegious here, but at the same sense, it's that sense of understanding that we many times don't appreciate, even with that statement, how many times Matthew gives us little understandings of this story that we just kind of skip over because we don't get the context, we don't get the cultural implications, we don't get the understanding of what is really happening in this passage. 
Do you remember in Luke's telling of the events of Zacharias and how the angel Gabriel came to Zacharias while he's ministering in the, te- in the, the temple proper there? And Gabriel tells Zacharias, Zacharias, you're, you're going to have a child. Now, they have been waiting a long time for a child. They're not young people anymore. And the angel tells Zacharias, Elizabeth is going to have a child. And Zacharias begins to almost have an argument. This is kind of brazen of the guy. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if maybe their relationship with angels is a little different than how mine would look like. But he kind of starts arguing with the guy, the angel. And kind of goes on about, well, hold on now. How am I going to know this is true? How, it's not enough, Zacharias. You got an angel talking to you? Okay, well, what's the proof? You're going to be mute until the child is born. By the way, Zacharias, you're going to name him John. I think he agreed after that point. And he comes out of the temple, and they're all amazed. And the story is somehow conveyed. He, he shares that. Elizabeth gets pregnant. This is not a virgin conception. This is a a mutual physical joining of two people together to bring a child into the world. The story tells us that the day arrives and John is born. And the whole gaggle of people are there with Elizabeth. The midwives and the other family and friends are all there. And the day comes and the realization comes, a name must be given. And they want to give it Zacharias. And Elizabeth is adamant, no, 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 it's going to be John. John? There's nobody in your lineage named John? This is, who's John? That's his name. It's going to be, they call Zacharias over. What's the name going to be? Zacharias motions for some sort of a writing instrument, some way to communicate, and he writes down, his name will be John. And immediately his lips are opened and he's able to start talking again. In much the same way, As long as that child is inside Mary's womb, it is all theoretical. How many of you of dads have been in the delivery room and watched your firstborn come out? Let me see your hands. And for us, that's when the theory of a child became sight. That's why a miscarriage is so much more powerful for the moms than it is even for the dads. His moms experience that child inside of the stomach. They, they feel the womb moving. They, they know there's an intimacy there long before we as men ever experience that. And that child is born. And everything that was theoretical, everything that was still left in the enigma, everything that was the unknown, is made plain. So what's his name going to be? You've read the genealogy. There is no Joseph, which would be the Old Testament version. There is no name in his name. When you think about what we find here, until the naming of that child of Mary and of the Holy Spirit, Joseph had a choice I like how Hagner put it in his writing when he wrote this. He said that Joseph appears as a very real person confronted with an understandable dilemma. And yet this righteous man of such little significance to the narrative on the one hand and such great significance on the other receives a revelation to which he is submissive and obedient. It was all well and good 
to hear an angel say, this is Mary, this child is born of the Holy Spirit, you must take her as your wife. Okay, I, I, I can do that. And you'll name him Jesus. Wait, wait, Jesus, wait a minute, but there's no family. They, you know, that, how does that, I, I mean, what, what? Because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph had a decision when this child came forth from Mary. Would he love him as his own? Would he believe that this truly was not all imagined? Would Joseph choose to protect this little life and claim him and grant to this baby the rights and the titles of being the son of Joseph, son of Jacob, son of Methan, and ultimately the son of David, a king of Israel? And that name given that night was not just a provided name. It was a decision by Joseph to believe in the namesake. It was faith. It was trusting in the loving heavenly father who had conceived within this young woman a child who would be the bringer of salvation to a world that was still dark, but also to a Joseph and a Mary who were the first recipients by faith to believe in the revelation of God that this child would save the world. It was a huge step of faith, and he called his name, Jesus. Christ inherited the throne of an earthly kingdom, but Christ came to establish an eternal kingdom. And Jesus is the Savior. He is Emmanuel. God is with us. Joseph characterizes for me patient love. Where in Mary's situation, it was that humble submission. In Joseph, I see as him characterizing for us in the story of Christmas, a patient love, just like our Heavenly Father, and understanding how Joseph characterized the spirit of God's persistent care and faithful love to us throughout generation after generation. And Joseph accepted and he cared for this gift of life, just like the Heavenly Father who brings us out of the orphanages and the slums of the world and he adopts us into his own family. Christmas is about life and hope where Satan, who is the destroyer, only brings forth death and condemnation. You see, Joseph's legacy, if we want to think about it in this way, is to remind us that our God loves us. Your God is working even now in your existence. But is he your God? Is he your father? Do you know that kind of love that he was so willing and so graciously willing to offer to us, to the world, but especially to you? The true character of Christmas is seen in the person of our God who made flesh the baby whose name shall be called Jesus. And he will save you from your sins. That is a Christmas story worth sharing. And to think about how God brings us into his family, he brings us into relationship with him through this child, through this man who would die upon a cross, take our sins, give to us hope, restore to us a relationship with our heavenly father to give to us eternity. And the question is then, what is our legacy? 
What part do we play inside of God's patient, persistent plan to continue that message of hope, that message of deliverance, that we bring Christ with us wherever we go, that we share him with whoever needs to be saved? May we truly represent the character of Christmas. Let's stand together for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would bless our hearts in these moments as we consider what the message of hope really is to the world. That like Joseph, who stood at a crossroads of his own decision-making, Lord, what will I call him? What will his name be? Will it be after me? Will it be like me as Joseph? Will I give him a father's name? Will I give him some lineage? Even to call him David would not have been good enough. His name is Jesus. He is a savior. He's the redeemer of mankind. He's not like any other human baby born. Lord, I thank you for your namesake. And I thank you that by your namesake, you have given me a name. I am your child. I am redeemed. Lord, thank you for the salvation you gave to this seven-year-old little boy who needed to know his place in your record book, to know that my sins are forgiven and not because my parents are good people. Joseph was a righteous man, and yet by faith he still had to believe of who you were. Lord, I'm glad to know who you are today. And I pray for every person that's in the room this morning. I pray that every person here truly knows that their sins are forgivable, but it's not by anything that they can do in themselves. It's only because you hold the right to forgive them. Lord, I ask that you would help us to recognize our situation in you. And Lord, those of us who know you as our Savior, I pray that we would be truly bearing well the Christmas story with us wherever we go. Thank you for patiently loving us and in the fullness of time sending your son so that he might die in our place to give us a legacy, something that's worth leaving to the generations to come. Speak through your spirit as only he can to the hearts of every person here today. And may we reflect well the character of Christmas. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. From my heart to yours this morning, because next Sunday is Christmas Sunday, we'll gather here with many of you, but not all of you. I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. And sometimes it's not because the circumstances are always the brightest and the happiest, the merriest, but it's because of what Christmas really means that makes my heart joyful. And I hope that that's what you can have and share. Have a very merry Christmas. Let's sing a song together as we make ready to leave. And I ask those who had their hands, my, my hand shaken here this morning earlier, there's others that would like to do that. Those of you who joined with us this morning, make sure that you step back there sometime here soon so that others can greet you as well. We'll enjoy that together. Let's sing this song. You are my life, oh precious Christ, you are to me the pearl of greatest price.
name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Um, we uh, have a fellowship time, uh, extended fellowship time. So we're going to about 11.15 this morning, and then discipleship uh, classes will meet after that for about 45 minutes. We're going to invite our new members. If you would, just slip on out, and we want you to be a part of that fellowship time there. Um, somebody will be back there. Maybe Kelly will be back there. Yeah, I see Kelly leaving now. Kind of set you up so we can, as a church, greet them as we're going into that time together. And uh, as I said, a little extended time this morning. So enjoy uh, the cookies and the refreshments there for you. Hope to see you back there in a few minutes. Lord bless you.